Hello and welcome to The Andyplex, the podcast where we talk about films we love with creatives and also hear their journeys. I'm your host, Andy Majorano, and this is episode 32, Christoph the Hook. Returning to talk his journey is Christopher Charles Stefanik, a.k.a. Christoph. Christoph is a cinephile, actor, filmmaker, film historian. We met at the New Beverly Cinema, our church. Yes. The one screen owned by Quentin Tarantino, only showing 35mm and 16mm film, only showing film. Chris, welcome. So good to have you. It's good to be here. I, I really like you, man. <laughs> I like you too and have mad respect for you, brother. Same, samesies. And uh, you are a character that I am so gr- grateful that I've gotten to meet. And we have had many great conversations. It's so good to have you over to the Plex. For uh, a deep dive, we just talked about The Exorcist and William Friedkin and our love for both. And I really needed it, man. So thanks again. You've seen Friedkin live a bunch, and your your take on him uh, was just so soul-satisfying. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Sharing is caring. So this is the first time I think we're hanging out outside the hollowed halls of a independent movie theater. Although, I guess the Antiplex is a little bit of an independent movie theater. But, uh. <laughs> the Antiplex is, is actually kind of cooler because we can cut loose more. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right, baby. I know you consider yourself a film historian, a filmmaker. You're an actor. You just got done doing, was it Godspell? I did, uh, with Not Your Mama's Broadway in North Hollywood. So cool, man. Godspell. Yeah, thank I you. I think I was in Italy when you guys did your run. You did. You were at a wedding, I want to say? Oh, uh, well, I was in a wedding on the East Coast, and then I came back, and then I went back. Yeah, anyway, I wish I could have made it, but... I have a feeling I'll be seeing you live again soon somewhere. I'm doing a son- I'm currently doing a Sondheim uh, tribute review that uh, goes up uh, September 22nd through the 30th. Oh my goodness, I'll be there with bells on. Where are you from? How long have you been in LA? Just uh, yeah, just okay. walk us through. No Christoph. problem. Yeah, it's the the dusty road that leads up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to. Uh, very, uh, for Oklahomans, very progressive, uh, kind of professional by day, uh, bohemian thespian by night parents uh, <laughs> that were, you know, very, very involved in, oh in stage out there. Yeah, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Did you guys have a phone booth to change outfits? Since, uh, <laughs> yes, like it Superman? was right in the wings. Oh, God, yes. yes, yes <laughs> I mean, our house was a just a cacophony of costume parades and cast parties where you, you know, had oh goodness, blacks, Jews, gays. Yeah, uh, I grew up with uh, record players and, you know, every original cast recording of musical theater uh, to film. Film score. My father wrote for the Tulsa World, which is a local paper. Uh, oh. Initially, not so much for films. I think initially he just uh, did uh, small stories on, uh, what is it, currency issues and stamp collections, <laughs> you know, nice. when he was very first starting out. Yeah, but then cool. he eventually graduated to uh, reviewing albums and going to see concerts and covering the concert experiences for the paper. And then that led on to uh, writing four films uh, that were shooting in and around Oklahoma in addition to writing reviews for them. Whoa. Yeah. So uh, my point is to say that my dad really imparted kind of a respect for film and uh, not only the art of it, but also uh, its meaning and how it's used to 
affect the public yeah you know and he he covered uh and i always like to tease him uh because he did reviews for uh everything from the electric horseman to friday the 13th nice in the that time gambit. frame yeah and then coppola showed up and uh shot you know the outsiders and rumblefish in oklahoma oh, and right? tulsa yeah both films were tulsa. shot back to back in tulsa baby uh cool. because they were both written by se hinton you know local author who uh, happened to find some unexpected but happy success with those novels. I read The Outsiders in, uh, like everyone else, I think, in yeah. seventh grade. Mm -hmm. Ninth grade, yeah. That was Classic. For it. Mm -hmm. Stay a gold pony boy. Very, very. And uh, so he covered the filming of it in Oklahoma and uh, and the, subsequently the filming of Rumblefish as well. And uh, I would come upon these articles and uh, find all the free press junket materials that he had. So I guess uh, at an early age I was... Uh, you know, very affected by it, positively so. Yeah. Uh, so I... Because you're I, definitely such a, you're such a lover of art. Obviously, film is what brought you and I together. Yes. But, yeah. And yeah. classic film as well. Classic that's, film. So we, that's what you want to remember. Uh, it's And this was, uh, I was raised on classic film. You know, I wasn't mm -hmm. really allowed to go see film a lot. Uh, I have three siblings. And, okay. Right? And my parents were artists at heart that worked professionally by day to be providers for us and they were the most uh they were the most wonderful providers we never actually starved or wanted for anything mm. and uh but we ne weren't ever really able to go see new movies in a theater a lot. okay so a little bit protected that way it's yeah well i mean it just uh it, it just never really worked out we kind of did that stuff more with our grandparents so okay uh yeah but so you know, to kind of compensate for that, we rented a lot of classic films. Okay. So, so you had a v VCR. Oh, yes. That we did have. That we when did you guys get your, your first VCR player? Do you remember? I, I do not even remember. <laughs> um, I want to say you're, you're my age-ish. Yeah, uh, we're the, the same age. Yeah. We're born, born in eight, I was born in 84. Me January. too. Orwellian babies. Woo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unite. Thought um, police. That's right. Oh, fuck 12. <laughs> yeah, I, I could go into my protesting stories there. <laughs> Very revolutionary. Um, but uh, I remember... I, I love your passion. Thank you. Thank you, bro. Takes one to know one. Uh, I, I remember the uh, channel changer that was like a big keyboard with these black kind of half circle, half square. It's like a circle on one end and a square on the other buttons that you would use to change the channels. Oh my goodness. This, yeah, this must have been about 87, 88. Like my yeah. memories of that are actually really early. And I remember taping the Star Wars movies and the Godfather movies off of HBO uh, mm. when my parents would watch them. I was about two or three years old, so, you know, they didn't have to worry about me being uh, influenced in any way because I wasn't retaining much. But actually, well, clearly I was. But <laughs> And we still have... I retained we still it all, have, it seems. Right? Yeah, I mean, and we still have those Max LVHSs, actually. So, oh, my goodness. Uh, it's so cool. Yeah. So it, when I can get... I know. I remember writing on the spine and... My handwriting mm. was really bad, and then my dad had to do it again. <laughs> but he'd let me write on there. Mm -hmm. But you were a linguist at an early age then, weren't you? Putting I all did together. my best. <laughs> you do it great, bro. Just great. <laughs> uh, and I, have, I so, um, but that led me uh, on my own journey of kind of really paying attention uh, as a bullied queer kid in mm -hmm. Oklahoma. Uh, I didn't, I literally didn't have any friends. Oh my goodness. Uh, so yeah, all, and I was bullied and tormented every day and we could go on to a Dr. Phil show, but I'd rather just say that <laughs> films were my haven from that. Films were my escape 
there film, you go. right? And, That's and beautiful. They were, it was, it was, uh, and so for that I'm actually quite grateful. Uh, I would always get teased because I didn't go and see Terminator 2 or True Lies on its opening weekend. Uh, I instead was watching uh, Carrie on TBS on a Saturday night or Saturday TBS. Night Fever, right? Yeah, on Bless T- TBS. <laughs> Bless TBS. That's where I saw The Shining first, I was eight. Oh really? Yeah. No kidding? Yeah, and it scared me to death, even edited and, Yeah. Anyway, so what was the phantasmagoric feeling? I want to ask you that it did give you. Like, what was what was the first thing that you felt that drew you back for more? Yeah, no, I remember we caught it probably not from the opening, but my brother and I. So mm-hmm. my brother Gianni, shout out, he was on one of my last episodes, the Mario episode. He's a big gamer, mm-hmm. but he and I uh, watched countless movies together growing up, and we'd often be marooned together. Mm-hmm. My parents were travel agents, so they were often um, out and about. And he and I were just in a little TV room and it was on. And I remember years later, I was like, what was that hotel movie? I, I didn't know it was called The Shining. I didn't know who Jack Nicholson was. I didn't know who Kubrick was. But I remember it bothered me, but I didn't understand why. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first things to really challenge me that way. And there was the phantasmagoric element of it. And I remember it would look TBS, but we'd have commercials. Yeah. And then it would be this brooding, intense, creepy moment. And my brother and I were like, all right, let's change the channel after that. But then we'd find our way back mm-hmm. and we couldn't get away for a minute. Nice. And we were, years later we were like, what was that hotel movie? And then we would rent it and then we both became obsessed with it on our own. Um, but yeah, we, I, I like didn't even have the, the vernacular, the, the vocabulary at the time to process or, or, you know, orate what exactly was happening in my brain. But there was something drawing me into that movie, even though it bothered me. Mm-hmm. And at night when I was scared, I'd close my eyes and I'd see the two girls in the hallway. And it was the most horrifying thing. God, yeah. It was devastating. A testament, right? A testament to the power that it, that it still uh, yields. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, uh, on that token, my brother, Sean, my twin brother, shout out, uh, and I, uh, we were already exposed to and watching movies uh, from the Disney clamshells that we had. Uh, oh, yeah. Of old animated films, right? Like Alice in Wonderland, Sleeping Beauty, uh, live action films, right? Like uh, Freaky Friday, Candle Shoe, both at Jodie Foster, awesome. funnily enough. Yeah. <laughs> Watcher in the Woods. Jodie. Queen Jodie. Queen Jodie. Um, and uh, so we, my, I had a similar experience like that uh, when we both saw Carrie on TBS for the first time. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was May 18th, 1996. I will never forget it. We had been, <sighs> we were ending a rather traumatic, and I'm not just using that blithely. Like, it, it was a really traumatic year for both of us. We had just moved. We had just mm. gone to a new school. Moving as hell. Yeah, literally. it really is. The preacher's kid that was there who knew who we were already uh, besmirched our reputations before we even arrived. So by the time we got there, we never had a chance to really fit in. I mean, it was an awful thing. And we were these two loving little kids. Yeah, it was, I mean, we were essentially Carrie White. Yeah. We we really were. Carrie's story was our story. So we had, um, yeah. And we, this, this is the first, this year of trauma has just ended. And here's this story about someone who is literally just like us. And when you're an 11 year old, I mean, there's no greater feeling in the world. It, it feels more like, it, it was more Having than just connection. watching a film. Yeah. yeah, it was like meeting a new best friend. My God, yeah, that's powerful stuff. So, yeah, and it was, and through watching this film, you know, we had seen the box of it at, you know, 
alfalfa video, movie time video, blockbuster. Oh, yeah, you know. the, but, but walking into the horror section and seeing the boxes. It was very, I know, right? And that was the scariest that was one, imagined. covered in blood, yeah. I know, yeah, and it was the CBS Fox home video box from 84, mm. uh, which, funnily enough, it had never been on VHS prior to that, but okay. uh, it had, you know, one side was her, like the poster, I believe, one side was her kind of smiling with prom flowers, and the other side was her all bloody. But Co- was, covered in blood, yeah. Right, but I it was remember. very scary, and uh, yeah, and, and I was expecting a film where she, it, she would basically get bloody whenever she got pissed off and uh and we would get that intermittently with her being regular but no what blew me away was uh we continue to see this uh journey of hers as she first discovers she has a power and still has to contend with her psycho mom and her you know bullying peers at school and her teachers that just don't really understand uh again reoccurring theme here well not except for the parents but <laughs> but the mother is religious so substitute the church that i was that i kind of had to go to as a child in place for the mother and mm. there was literally that it, element was present yeah, the game board was set with the exact tokens in the exact same places so uh we see this uh you know build up of just life of things happening with no real horror except for these very small intermittent moments where she's testing her power out mm. and the only real horror of the film is the prom scene and the fact that i i felt like i was in an electric chair and I didn't know if I should be angry at the fact that this film seemed to cheat me out of a scary experience or, you know, contending with the feeling of brilliance and admiration that I had for the film for uh, being a totally outside the box, different way to watch a horror movie, quote, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, that's the that is the truth that willed out for me. So that was really a changing point in my view of motion pictures. Uh, and like with you in The Shining, it just I kept going back to that. And then there was the fantastical element of, you know, getting some kind of telekinetic revenge against classmates right. and, you know, a being real, able to reenact revenge in a fantasy. Definitely a wish fulfillment, if you will. Right. There's a catharsis of the revenge. And, Very. Yeah. And, and then, you're like, you guys deserve this, man. You had it coming, dude. It is. And she and tried to suppress it. She but really, yeah. The blood, was, the way after the blood. Mm-hmm. Come on. It's, oh God, what a, we could do a whole podcast on that film. But uh, so we anyway, should. yeah, we definitely should. Let's Love De Palma too. Make it happen. Oh, another, another yeah. master. Another master. We just talked about Friedkin. And, we did. And he, and he was right in that camp. Oh, absolutely. I've actually been coming through and I, I, I was like, I have so many that I hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. Anyway, not the tangent. But. Oh, it's fine. Fine, please. Uh, I love it. Master. Yeah. So, um, so starting there, uh, you know, and continuing my years uh, throughout uh, high school and uh, going to film school, it was really, I, I had a, I trained myself to look for that, to look for, you know, articles of humility, articles of social relevance, articles of symbolism, you know, the aesthetic, wow. the film scores, uh, music is another, you know, great passion. Music is the fifth element to me, by the way. You have the sun, you have the air, earth, air, fire, water, and music is the Love fifth that. element. That's great. It is an element. It, it's, it's very powerful. You can't separate. Right, and some and horror films like well, like Carrie and The Omen, you know, for for a better example, uh, have some of the best film scores out there. Amazing, right? And, and the way that a good composer can do, you know, translate fear into some melodic tune that you can listen to apart from the film. Those were the same year, if I recall, seventy six. It's you know what? Good catch. Yes, they were. Yeah, yeah. Yes, they were. And I they, love The Omen. Oh yeah, and The Omen one. We were just talking about The Exorcist with Friedkin, and I, yeah. something that I forgot to mention, so I'll mention it really quickly here is the psychological effect on it. Like this, the, absolutely right. Like the root of the horror isn't based in 
Catholic fact or religious fact, but how the characters interpret it. And that's uh, the same in both The Omen and The Exorcist. And that's, that's why incredible. I think they're so... So well said. Influential. There's the threat and everyone working together against this threat, whether or not you believe in X or Y. Yeah. This is the situation. We all got to put our heads together here. Right. And in The Exorcist, it's all like the different elements. You know, you have the detective, you have the church, mm-hmm. and then you have the, the medical. Mm-hmm. So it's a three-partative... And you have the mother, the first and, uh, and the mother. instinct nature, yeah. Right, the mother really is the conductor of the orchestra, getting everyone to, you know, and she's the one really pulling the wagon. Yeah, so, but uh, yeah, I've been, I moved out here, uh, cutting to the chase, uh, I've been out here for almost 12 years, and uh, came out here to make pictures, and I am still going to make pictures, but I've also uh, been going at my own pace. I, <laughs> the first two years I was out here, uh, I allowed myself to make some mistakes I allowed myself to get in with the wrong uh, people. Hashtag me too. That's all I'm going to say. And uh, so I have been uh, really kind of roving in and out, uh, keeping my contacts, and while at the same time lifting other people up and celebrating other people, you know, whether they're friends, colleagues, associates, or, you know, people like the Grand High Billy. You are a celebrator, Chris. And that's, is, I am. I do my best. That's why I, 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 one of the things, one of the many things about you that I really love, and I was so excited to have you on this show. And this show is a celebration. People ask me, oh, do you do reviews? And like, no, no, by the time we've chosen a film or chosen somebody to talk about, mm-hmm. it's because we love them and we want to celebrate them. Yes, so, exactly. Anyway, I, I totally appreciate that so much. And I love that film literally saved you. Yeah. Um, and that's beautiful stuff. Thanks for sharing. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, man. So wait, so you and I got here around, it was 2011? Uh, 2012 for me, April, okay. April 23rd, 2012. I got here just <laughs> five months before you did. Interesting. Yeah, wow, okay. Where did you land? I'm curious. Uh, so actually, uh, my cousin, Mark Falkowski, he lives in Long Beach. So mm-hmm. I, I, I started there. I think my first night was there. <laughs> and uh, and it was, yeah, it was right before Thanksgiving and celebrated Thanksgiving um, with him and his family, which I still do down nice. in Long Beach. And then, uh, and then I went up to Burbank first to stay with a friend who was out of town, so I kind of sublet an apartment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I stayed in Burbank for a year and change, and then I moved over the hill into Hollywood, and I've been here since. Nice. Well, you yeah. have a great place. I do love you. Oh, place. thank you. Almost five <laughs> years of, of the Andyplex here, and a uh, big, big white wall to shoot a projector onto. Absolutely. And, and the uh, movie posters, you know. Yeah. Elegance never hurt. Yeah, and... Um, it still keeps coming. I can't tell you how much of the stuff on the walls is gifts from, from friends and people mm-hmm. that, and a lot of people that have, uh, having families and, and children and, you know, all the Ninja Turtle action figures don't have a place anymore. And they're like, well, we know they're going to have a home here. So mm-hmm. anyway, it's kind of a haven. I, and like I said, this place is a real haven for um, appreciation of cinema and, and art. Absolutely. So, so thank you. I'm glad you're picking you up on that. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be here, as I've said many times, but we'll keep doing so. Absolutely. I had I actually uh, landed in Inglewood. Uh, okay. Beach Avenue. I don't remember the exact number, but I remember it was Beach Avenue, and it was uh, near Sentinella, where Sentinella uh-huh. kind of veers east. Okay. Uh, so I was there for a month, and then I moved up to North Hollywood for a <laughs> month. And then I, uh, I just was, you couldn't tie me down anywhere. And yeah. then uh, I went, moved to Culver City for the next two years. Uh, and uh, and that was, uh, I developed a real respect for Culver City. Because you're there now, right? I am there now. I'm trying to get back to West Hollywood uh, just because the energy of Culver City has really changed so much. 
But okay. uh, I had eventually moved in with a friend in Los Feliz after that, and then I moved in with another friend in Mid City, and then I lived in West Hollywood. Uh, LA is such a big place with so many boroughs, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. It, it's a magical place for that. It is. You, I think, I think it's necessary to explore. You know, to move around when you first move out here to find out. You know, which one works best for you. Yeah. Uh, I was in West Hollywood, and then the pandemic struck, and. Uh, I had some irreconcilable differences with my roommate that just weren't going to be able to cut it with both of us being locked down and in the same apartment. Yeah. So that catalyzed a lot of things. It, 2020. It really did. So I, uh, I, so I moved back over to Culver uh, and stayed for a place in a little while, and then uh, now am roommates with Angel, who is uh, my best friend, who he and uh, is also a friend of Andrew's. Love Angel. Yeah. I, I'm gonna have him on the out. on the Plex soon as well. So. Yeah. No, Angel's Angel's amazing. Big fan. Uh, yeah, he's a very very talented writer and just big old heart of gold on that guy. I can't. Say and enough yeah, I, I, and you know, many times it was you guys together at all the screenings and. Yeah, his yeah. just he's, obsession. Yeah, he's he's great. To, he's another great conversationalist. You know, he's, oh yeah, he he has ideas and he's you know his opinions are more more shared. They're not really kind of him pontificating, which is unfortunately what you tend to find in this city. Um, but yeah, so I'm living in Culver City now, uh, and uh, you know, yeah, just continuing to do the thing and. Uh, continue to increase uh, my spiritual awarenesses, you know, running and meditating on the beach. I mean, L.A. is so much more than the motion picture industry. Absolutely. Uh, it's a real metropolis. And now that we're in a little bit of a hiatus, it's easier to, to <laughs> see that. You can focus on some of the other elements now that we have the strike going on. And... Yeah. Oh, and complete standing in solidarity, right? With oh, yes. Absolutely. WGA yeah. And yeah, I'm in SAG and uh, yeah. That's right. I'm, you are. Yeah, I've picked it up a few times now. I'd like to get back out more. Um mm. But yeah, that's another can of worms. But yeah, I think it's it's all about balance and we have to, I like that you said that. I actually mean to get to the beach more and mm -hmm. there's so much of this town that is in the motion picture industry. Obviously, that's what drew us here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's a beautiful place and um, I, I love the beach and yeah. I, I just love that we live on a coastal town and mm -hmm. I grew up near the water but not near beaches. A couple hours. Yeah. But yeah, just knowing that it's there, even though I don't go nearly as much as I say I want to or do end up going, but just knowing I could at any moment <laughs> mm -hmm. go down there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very. It's a very liberating feeling. Very liberating, very uh, comforting feeling. It's, yeah. you know, growing up in landlocked Oklahoma like I did, you would see that in coffee table books and on postcards, <laughs> you know, it, and it was something that I remember at a very young age was so, un, it seemed so unattainable to me. So there are even moments now when I go and I run on a beach and I stop and I say to myself, I actually live here. Yeah, I know, right? You keep pinching yourself. Yeah. Like, this is for real. Yeah, it really is. I know, sometimes it takes, I actually have a dear friend coming in tonight that I grew up grew up with, and he's coming in. We're going to see Metallica twice this weekend at the Hell SoFi. Yeah. And I've been, so many times when people come into town, they're like, man, this place is just so fun. I, it's just such an adventure out here. And, and it truly is. And sometimes, you know, it's where we live, and we get into a grind or get into a rhythm, and you can almost forget that. But then having that outside perspective. and But, yeah, that's why we had the touchstones of, like, the New Beverly and, and places right. where we, we meet up and, and congregate, and we all are like, this really is the best, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's. I remember I came out here about a year and a half uh, prior to my actually moving out here. I'd come out here with a couple of film students, and uh, my brother and I met up with the fabulous, talented, beautiful Terry McMinn who was Pam in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh my goodness, yes. And yeah, we had, at the time we were working on a project which very sadly and unfortunately never came to fruition, but uh, but we got in contact with her and we came out and hung out with her for a little bit. That's so cool. Before, yeah, and, and she is just, 
she is one of the most amazing people I think I can I've ever met. And I'm not that is a shout out to you, Terry. But it's more than just a shout out. I'm being very honest. She uh, she did modeling and print work. She was a stage actress uh, most of her time out here. She had her own flower business, and uh, she has a Facebook page that you can contact her at Pam the Original Chainsaw Gal, and I believe that's her IG account. Oh man, another 50th anniversary. We just did The Exorcist same year, yep. 73. Right. Another masterpiece. Another masterpiece. Just. Groundbreaking. And, and for all its own merits, right? Like in a completely oh, yeah. different way. Absolutely. Totally different experience. Right. Uh, but but uh, we were uh, getting back, though we were hanging out with her, and then we went to the Arrow and saw a double bill because I believe Richard Brown had just passed away. Okay. It was Zanuck or Brown. One of them, I think it was Richard Brown, had just passed away. But uh, they did Sugarland Express and Jaws oh. on these beautiful, you mm. know, 35 millimeter archive universal film prints. Yummy. Right. And Ed Abrams, who has since passed away, uh, who edited Sugarland, was there. So my brother and I went out and smoked with him and talked with him for a good half an hour or so in between so awesome. the movies. Yeah, it was. And uh, that's when it hit me. It's New York or L.A. Uh, L.A. definitely is where the appreciation is. Uh, more it so is. than the fact that it's the city of the industry itself, but just the appreciation for classic cinema. It's a shrine to it, Yeah, to it cinema. really is. And uh, and so getting to do that, uh, I made sure I involved myself with the Cinematheque who owns the Arrow and the Egyptian, or did own the Egyptian. I'm not going there. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah, but and, yeah, so, and, uh, and I... I miss that place. I'm, uh, yes. Anyway. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so grateful. Actually, shout out to Antonio Guzman. He yes, he got me to go so many times in 2017 and 18 and 19, and um, I got to go so many times. And I think if somebody said, "What's your favorite theater in LA?" it would it would be a, a coin flip between. It just had that epically large kind of old, mm. you know, like opera house vibe. Or yes. It was just so big. It was something special. Classic. Yeah. Uh, in the New Beverly is obviously a different experience. Also favorite. Um, and then maybe Hollywood Forever Cemetery, which to say one of my favorite theaters is the cemeteries. <laughs> Still grappling with that, but it's just such a cool place and being it's, outside. And I've yet to experience that, but have you ever been to the Million Dollar Downtown? I have. Oh, oh we, yeah, we it's really met good. each other yeah, there yeah, once. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. The Argento double. What was that? Deep Red. Uh, and Deep opera. Red Opera, and then they didn't have the they didn't have the subtitles for uh, for opera, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I, I don't think we stayed or did. We I, stay? No, we didn't stay. Yeah. They yeah, I was like, uh, actually, I want to yeah. learn Italian. I'm going there next year, but. Right. Anyway, I mean, I could have understood. I took it down for four years, so I, I could have. And Argento uh, was the inspiring, uh, you know, instigation for that. Amazing. Uh, Love. Huge fan. Yeah, but no, it's, I, I think uh, the Academy Museum, uh, the David Geffen is, I think, my favorite seat in town. Uh, but oh, I also thought the Egyptian was, amazing, yeah. you know, before it. And then the Million Dollar. Uh, I, I still really love the Bev. But, you know, each of them, you're right about that. Each of them has their own vibe, their own uh, atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and their own audiences. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, speaking of seeing uh, our favorite people in person, I, I've only been to the Geffen twice. And uh, this year, I went and saw, on May the 4th, I saw Return of the Jedi <laughs> in the Death Star, the Geffen. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, we're seeing Return of the Jedi on May the 4th in yes, the Death Star. In the Death Star. But then uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who I'm a massive fan of, is uh, he did a, a night there. And it was actually, I was supposed to go to Italy, but because of the storms on the East Coast via JFK, I was I was grounded for two days. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, well, I get to go. And uh, then we got to see Terminator 2 3D there. And my God, with him, I mean. Okay. Was, I would have done that, you know. I'm, I I'm, was... Uh, 
I was five years old again. It was great. Yes, yes. Well, I'll tell you, I was five years old again uh, with uh, Craig Hamill and Secret Movie Club. Craig, yeah. Done, uh, yeah, we had, I don't know if this is, if I'm able to say this now, maybe enough time has passed, but uh, he had done a, uh, we did uh, a bucket screening of the original trilogy. Oh. Uh, all on 35 millimeter original mm. 35 millimeter film prints of the original day of release versions nothing altered oh about them oh my god original mono soundtracks oh. as well it's, wow it, much like with the exorcist print that i was mentioning to you yeah. earlier it was uh, and uh, i won't I, I don't think i can divulge too much but i'll say that uh, my co my colleague and i had a hand shall we say in helping make that happen. That's awesome. And uh, and I don't know, maybe we can do that again sometime, but if we do, it'll, you know, oh look out God. for the underground email. <laughs> let, let me know, please, will you? I definitely will. Oh, Call yeah. Me. It, it, it was, <laughs> I know, it was, sad to, it was sad not to see you there. And I remember Craig had semi-announced it when we were at the Million Dollar that night. Oh, did he? If you remember, yeah. I don't. He was. He had mentioned uh, something from '77 that could have become oh. something bigger. And then Shoot, I, immediately I didn't. Caught I didn't him. pick up on it. Oh well, yeah. Maybe I was in the bathroom or something. Yeah, I, I do. It's I. <laughs> yeah. Getting popcorn. I yeah, know. I know, right? But I, I, I anyway, I'd gone out to the lobby and caught him, and I was like, "You do know that if you want to make that happen, I think I have a way to make it a threesome." <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "Oh, you do?" And I was like, oh. "Yeah, I got a couple." Dude, so actually, um, you can. I think one of the first times I met you, you said you consider yourself a film historian. Yes, which I love that you said that. Go into that. What what is your obsession with uh, collecting and and prints and 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 the history of like different prints and and all that? Because your awareness of that is so strong. Uh, thank you. Well, the start of that can be traced back to the Carey story that I uh, informed you about. I naturally just started to latch on to films of history, uh, you know, yeah, fil films that were more grounded in the past because they, there was more of a reliance on character and on story and not so much on action sequences and, you know, the polished look and right. you know, I, for example, you know, like Michael Bay kind of exploded onto the scene in the 90s, and he is very gifted as a filmmaker in his own right. But cinema, and it may or may not be because of him, but him and James Cameron and uh, a bunch of, uh, you know, those directors that emerged in the mid to late 80s and, and uh, into the 90s really kind of shifted the uh, mass-marketed appeal of films to be more about the big awe... Uh, you know, audience odd strucking action sequences and right. less about uh, the characters and how we relate to them and how impacted and compelled we are by their story. So with this in mind, go growing up through high school and, you know, going to college and into film school, uh, that became my main uh, my mainstay for, you know, where I drew inspiration and where I learned about the technique. And also remember... Uh, and you, you can hear William Freakin, you can hear everybody talk, well, not anymore. R.I.P. Billy. You can hear any filmmaker now talk about, uh, you know, go on about, well, you have to remember, we didn't have CGI in these days. And, and I love that they say that. 
I had this in mind, and this is part of the reason why, uh, as a teenager, I went to these films over the newer films because it was it always amazed me yeah. to see this compromise that you would you would go with the best technology you had, but you know what I learned then is you can say more with one really well done shot than you can with fifty like shit together CGI shots. Yeah. You know, and uh, and I have always been anti-CGI and I will always be anti-CGI. They use it for violence these days, just on a quick tangent. They use it for violence these days, for blood, uh, to get a PG-13 rating. It's yeah. Nobody has said this. That's... This is this is what I have kind of, you know, taken from... The... Because, oh, it's CG. Yeah, because it's not real. It's then, not real, you know. then therefore... Yeah, it's, it's the same thing as saying this character is a cartoon, so... Like it's they and and it's it's a, it's a it's schematic. It's very strategized and pre-visualized and schematic, and yeah. that I mean takes the sweet spontaneity about uh, storytelling out of it right there. When these decisions, it's just like made. a formula. It's, yeah, it's an algorithm. Yeah, these the, precisely these these are decisions that are being made before the cameras even roll, and I think that's so hindering to the artistic uh, to the. To the art of it, you know. Yeah, uh, it's kind of what we're worried about with AI, even you know. For real, yeah, it's part of why we're on strike, and and I mean, it doesn't really do much for the commerce either, because you know, I think audiences are aware to it now. Yeah, it's like you know, and you're, the mind's eye sees it, you know, yeah. just like eh. It's so, not. but but films, and you know, I they started just just to become important to me, and the more I couldn't really talk to my peers about them the more concentrated I became on them because it, it was my way of speaking. It was, it was kind of an individualization, if you will. And it continued to inspire me. It continued to give me ideas. From that, uh, I, I began to evolve in the way I studied them. And right before I went to film school, I began to notice the difference in uh, picture of modern films versus classic films. And modern films, I'm gonna say, were probably, uh, oh, Black Swan was one of the first ones I noticed it because it was presented to me digitally and the sound mix was very digital. It wasn't, you know, stereo magnetic tracks or, you know, it, the sound was very compartmentalized. It felt very synthetic. There was nothing about it that grabbed me. Soulless. It, it was like, oh, you could hear something front, left, right, or the back, right, you know, here. It never, it was always kind of, I could tell that there was something very manipulative and something very cash hungry about it. And just, I, I always rejected it. My sense of what a film should be rejected it. What also, what I also experienced was that this kind of fisheye look that all of the actors had. And, mm. you know, most of that is due to the lens and the way that, you know, Darren Aronofsky was shooting with it. But it was also the fact that uh, either it was, shot digitally and i i really honestly don't know and i don't want to get come after after you know by everybody for saying for not knowing this but just the very digital presentation of it all together was uh unsettling to me uh whereas you go back to a film like uh, just just as an example the towering inferno uh john gillerman uh towering inferno 1974 starring steve mcqueen and uh, paul newman faye dunaway and william holden their faces look different yeah and the lighting affects their faces differently they're pronounced differently. They look ethereal. They do look otherworldly. And I started to really go, you know, older films are doing this and the newer films are seeming to not do. Now, why may that be? And so, right. you know, then it, it truly, uh, I truly started to think about there is this thing between film and digital. And uh, film is warmer and more comforting to me. You know, it always was. There was, it was like a canvas. You could adjust the lens to tweak a tilt this way, an angle that way. Uh, with digital, you can manipulate 
your digital image to look like it was shot on film, but it's still not the same thing. And so that began my study into film. And from there, I went into the the science, you know, the scientific element of it, you know, it's a light flashing through a light bulb is more stimulating than alpha waves, which is what you get for digital. Film literally uh, peaks your mind. It's it's scientifically, it's uh, it's flattering lights in front of, fluttering lights in front of your eyes, uh, stimulating your brain to pay more attention. So, oh, and, and I believe people at the New Beverly uh, have discussed that at, uh, and that's why we keep coming back for the for those film prints, baby. Going back, right? Yeah. And, uh, oh, we feel it. How we feel it, and uh, and then that you know I got into. I never heard it put so eloquently into words. <laughs> but I knew something was going on. Some magic was yeah, afoot. It is that magic, you know, and and that's I think because it is ethereal and kind of otherworldly, it's more interesting to look at, uh, and there is an honesty to it, because they always, I, I saw this around this time. I saw a documentary where they were shooting, uh, it might have been Night of the Hunter, it might have been something else, but they were shooting uh, Lillian Gish. And they had mm. this huge arc lamp, and there was this big old camera on a huge crane. And then the DP took a tape measure and stretched it out. And from that, I was able to ascertain she has to be this amount of feet away so that the light will hit her just right, so that the lens will hit her perfectly, so that she will look exactly how she is branded to look on screen. Right. There is a total, you know, business of the art behind that that just completely blew my mind, and I yeah. loved it. Yeah. And it's and it was and it was a work for artists. Those were you know engineers and mathematicians and electricians and people doing their art, what they were supposed to do. All of this stuff is, and I hate this saying fixed in post now everything yeah. that i saw the magic of you know people being employed to do what they know and love doing all that is quote fixed in post now and what that's also done is made people lazy so there's a there's a moral and an ethical problem i have with digital in addition to uh the fact that it's dead and uh surrenders no magic and yields no great results for the audience to feast our eyes upon, you know, and and this is this isn't just with the actors and the lighting and framing their faces and you know the way that you, they look, but it also goes with explosions. It goes with the way that you can make a street in Los Angeles look. I saw a film recently at uh, Outfest where they tried to do this grand shot of western, uh, of western, shooting down towards the Wilton. Yeah, that's just down the road here. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and it was like looking at an IG picture, the way it was shot, versus you take uh, a film like The Student Nurses, Stephanie Rothman's 1970, The Student Nurses, which everybody that knows me knows is one of my favorite pictures just because it's very political. And even though it was a TNA drive-in film for Roger Corman, it was Roger Corman's first film for New World Pictures. And he had oh, Stephanie wow. Rothman, who I think at the time it's been said was the only WGA accredited female director working at the time. Uh, I could be wrong again, but that's what I think I read somewhere. And uh, she made this film about these sexually liberated nurses that uh, go out into what was really happening in LA at the time. So we, one of them is involved with the Chicano revolution and you know, even then uh, problems with the corruption of LA cops. And then one of them is involved in healthcare anxieties. One of them is involved in the drug scene and, uh, and the topics such as abortion and women's healthcare and uh, the themes of a woman finding herself in some trouble and getting herself out of it without the use of a man, but with relying on her own instincts and the world that she has around us. You see all of this happening on the streets of LA and LA looks 
mythical. It's powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks like it, it be, and again, because of the way it was shot, because of the film, because of the lighting, because of, you know, the compromise that Stephanie Rothman just, well, she ex was extraordinarily competent uh, in making this. Well, she's incompetent anyway, in my opinion. She's very ideological and philosophical in her themes and in her messages and what she's trying to say with her films. I'll, I, I, by the way, shout out Stephanie Rothman. I urge anybody who is a true filmmaker to check out Stephanie Rothman's work. She only had a few handful of films in her day, but each of them is very potent and very powerful. Love um, it. But yeah, so uh, all of this technical stuff under my belt now, it's uh, it became very uh, clear to me that it's going away, that we're losing it, that we're disappearing. Yeah. So to answer your question, as a film historian, it's important to preserve that. And with my archive, the Moving Picture Symposium archive, I want to be able to do that. I want to offer, uh, much like our uh, fellow movie houses out here, I want to you know give people the opportunity to screen these films, to talk about how they were presented, how they were shot. Uh, it, it's important. All of this, it's where we got, it's how we got here, you know? And especially now with the convenience and the pure laziness that comes from this digital age, we're not, quality is dropping, not just because of AI machines, but because people don't feel like they have to think that hard. Right. I want to preserve that. I want to keep that legacy alive as a filmmaker and as a film historian, uh, I think. And all those components coming together. All of them, set. right? Yeah. And, yeah. and it's all on your mind, too, when you go see films, isn't it? It's, I think. I, I Absolutely. Think, yeah. I, I you think can just we, tell. I mean, yeah. It's, honestly, it's, again, I haven't heard it put to words so well and broken down so well, but there's just a, a carnal magic that you just feel on yeah. film. It's, it, it's, it is it's very real. touchstone. Yeah, very, it's very real. Yeah. And uh, it's a it's a there's a wizardry to it, yeah. But yeah, no, I know, and I really I I, I love that. I, so if I were to hand you like a check for some money, what would you do? Rent a, rent a bigger space? Like create your own like, house? Uh, yes. What would you know? Where where what's the next step for you that you'd like to take? Well, uh, as a film historian, if you gave me carte blanche, uh, I would buy one of the uh, there. I have a spreadsheet. Yeah. I have a spreadsheet with over a hundred still standing palaces and houses in the greater Los Angeles area that uh, where I've included information on when they were built, uh, you know, when they when they went out of business as a movie theater and, you know, what the current business owner is using it for, if it's being used at all. It's not just sitting there collecting yeah, dust. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and some of them are, you know, that's the even that's the worst thing is that, you know, many of them actually are just kind of sitting shuttered up. Uh, the studs mm. in West Hollywood, the Del Mar on Pico, just Del like Mar. a block or two yeah. off. Yeah. It's uh, anyway. I would buy one of those, and I would use it as the Moving Picture Symposium Archives base of operations. And like Roger Corman with New World Pictures, what I would really like to do is uh, make a little film business out of it. Have people shoot things on film and have be able to display their work if it's you know credible enough and of the quality that I that I would feel it would be uh, to kind of keep that going. I guess you could say. Uh, a, a, a Roger Corman New World Pictures version of the New Beverly Cinema. I love that. For lack of a better term. That's great. I mean, I'd go. I, I, you'd get there comped. You'd get comped. Oh. You'd be a part of it, hell. Let's just have you on, uh, on the payroll for just being you. Oh, my goodness. That would be an honor and a pleasure. That's, that's so cool, Chris. I love this, man. You're getting me really fired up. Yeah, so even the Plex here, we got the wall, and some people say, and I agree that there's a little bit of a, it's a digital projector, but mm -hmm. there's a little bit of a, a stucco on the white wall that just gives it that little bit of texture, and I think yeah. it just, 
And some people were like, oh, you could paint over that if you wanted to. And I actually I had a screen at first, and then I said I can get bigger, and then I got rid of the screen right on the wall. But it's just that little bit of texture. It It's not film, but there's something about it that gives it that film edge. No, I, I totally get that. I really do. And, and I love that about it. And yeah. I've, I've gotten addicted to specifically that that wall texture that it's been projected onto. Absolutely. Uh, when uh, at my apartment uh, with Angel, when uh, Victor comes over and we do our 16 nights, it's uh, we take down our big uh, 4K TV that we have and we set it aside carefully, of course. And, <laughs> yeah. And then we, we have a lens now. We have a collection of lenses, actually. Uh, and one of the lens can throw a movie theater-sized image and then one of them, we can throw an image that will take up our wall in a similar in a similar manner that yours does, and so that's what we really try to do. That's so cool. I'm going to be at the next one. You yes, you must, you must. And we have, I mean, we have some uh, LPP scope prints of some amazing titles. One of them is celebrating its 35th anniversary this year. No, 45th. Excuse me, 45th anniversary this year. Uh, I'm trying to get in touch with the uh, Pasadena convention center to maybe have Ooh. a screening of this uh 45th anniversary film but that has yet to be seen okay which which film uh it's halloween oh right yeah yeah 78 uh, yeah halloween I, one Hall- the, the john carpenter's halloween uh I, one of my f- absolute favorite movies yeah are you kidding uh, me it's yeah i mean it was i saw that right after carrie and of course the love for pj souls and oh yeah uh, right yeah totally totally yeah. oh god no and i and i just where's my beer <laughs> go get me a beer no, yeah, yeah. interesting story about uh about pimmers <laughs> i call her I, my brother and i in being bullied and you know all that uh, and we we latched onto her immediately i do not know know why you know we there we could have uh we knew we studied into sissy spacek and nancy allen and amy irving but uh PJ Souls just really kind of resonated with us for some reason. And uh, so we grew up kind of, uh, she was Pimmers, you know, it's like having a stuffed animal, you know, she was, she was Pimmers to us. And I was very fortunate to meet her and have met her a couple of times mm. since just awesome. around town and, uh, and told her about that. And she's very graciously allowed me to refer to her as Pimmers whenever I'm addressing her on social media. And so uh, yeah. thanks Pimmers. Shout out. I don't know if you know, but I'm in this, uh, I guess the word's cult. That's kind of a strong word, but more of a group <laughs> what, that celebrates. Yeah, right. No. <laughs> it's a group that celebrates John Carpenter. We're called the Sons of Carpenter, and uh, oh, nice. And uh, yeah, we're obsessed with. Uh, I've seen him. It actually all started when we saw him live at the Palladium for the 40th of Halloween, oh, so five years ago. That was saw him live. Were you there? I was there. Oh my god! Of course you were. Yeah, I was there. Uh, that in was 17 and 18. The great. I yeah, and then I was like, oh, this is gonna be a regular thing. Mm. Um and. You know, here he's having a, a career renaissance as a, as a rock star, a rock star with his son, Cody, and they're mm-hmm. on stage and they're you know, projecting clips of mm-hmm. uh, montages of the movies behind him, the cuts that I'd never seen before of these. And it's like you hear, right, you, you listen to, you know, his take on his scores and you're like, this is what he had in mind originally. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was so awesome. And the Palladium is an old, speaking of old houses. Old, oh, yeah. You know, uh, it's an esta- it's an old establishment. Like yeah. what is old it? They, yeah, it's there's a it's word really for old. it. Uh, historical monument. Historical monument. Yeah, I've seen a lot of shows there, and mm. some of my favorite bands. And it's is a, that it's where Metallica is going to be? Metallica is going to be at the SoFi, which is um, never newer. Yeah, way newer. Where the uh, Rams play, outdoor stadium. I've never been. I've been to the sister YouTube theater, mm-hmm. uh, which was amazing. But um, I actually I've seen some metal shows at. Uh, I've seen Lamb of God, like my favorite metal band. Um, at the Palladium uh, and the YouTube Theater, but there's nothing like seeing like, 
it's got the mezzanine and everything and it's just mm-hmm. ugh, mm-hmm. and they packed that place out it was it was a great night yeah. but yeah the john carpenter night was that's when it really started and i was like Sons of Carpenter, and then that was actually um, before the Anyplex podcast was was a group of us. It was six of us. It was too many of us, but uh, that's, that's awesome. kind of how it started our, our film breakdown review with with John Carpenter movies. And my my very first Anyplex episode was um, The Fog. We talked oh, about The Fog. My God. Let's talk about that for a second. Do you want to talk about that? I'd love to talk about that for a second. The Fog. Yeah, I love it. What a what a what a masterpiece. Yeah, what an a, a sheer utter kind of dissertation on the sins of america i mean it's oh i don't my know God, i love that yeah i, I think maybe we talked about it maybe we didn't yeah, yeah the centennial yeah the, sins the of avenging our fathers. Uh, yeah, they're they're undead. like the native americans in a matter of speaking. in a matter of speaking yeah and they come in the mist and they yes. to enact revenge on the yes on the people that literally built this whole town and a legacy on their death on, on the blood killing love. them for their land yeah that's yeah. people nobody realizes this about john carpenter it's so deep yeah he is he is as woke and I don't know if he would appreciate me saying this, but uh, because Culture Will's out at this point, he is probably yeah. one of the most woke directors that there ever was. He's so uh, awesome. Laurie Strode, and it was kind of like a prototype for uh, feminism for Ripley later on. I know. Uh, uh, Ryan Grassmeyer, shout out, got to got to meet, uh, and he was like, "You're our real mom," you know that um, picketing. Got to oh, meet yeah. her, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Nice. And you know she just got in the Oscar. She uh, so deserved. Well deserved. I know. Well deserved. I'm such a fan. She's a queen. Queen yeah. Jamie Lee, we call her. Yep. Anyway, yeah, uh, that's awesome how you said that, and I couldn't agree more. And yeah, putting um, a lady in the, in the front and center in, in, in Halloween, and the, the babysitter murders became Halloween, and mm-hmm. she led the charge against this this force, this male force that was kind of an avatar for evil. Yeah. And yeah. she had to really stand her ground. You know, Loomis yeah. helped some, the cops helped a little, but it was mostly her own resilience. Yeah. And, and She courage. had to be resourceful and uh, yeah. kind of be the mother figure to these two uh, children that she was babysitting. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's an essay on on how to write a good heroic female character. <sighs> so well said, yeah. yeah. But yeah, back to The Fog. I mean, it, you know, it was one of those movies that I, I saw really young and I, I, didn't, I didn't really love it. And I talk about this in the episode with mm-hmm. Phil Gawthorne, who I'm going to have back again. And um, he has a show now, Die Hard in the Blank, where he talks about Die Hard DNA, post Die Hard, and all the oh, movies that affected. Cool. It's a really awesome show. you got to check it out. Nice. You guys would hit it I off. I will. Oh, he's, I, yeah. He sounds he's, awesome. he's an amazing dude uh, and brilliant. And um, yeah, and he, he heard about the Sons of Carpenters. like, well, I want to do a Carpenter. And that's when I was like, oh, we've got to do a Sons of Carpenter episode, but I don't really know what to do. And I was like, you know what? I think it's time for me to strike out on my own and do my own podcast. And so I really have him to thank because he kind of stayed on me because we met yeah. earlier in 2020 and then um, a month or so passed before uh, he was like, hey, are we still going to do this? And he was like, what what Carpenter movies haven't you done yet? And I, I think that was like, we definitely haven't done The Fog. And he's like, The Fog, I love The Fog. Oh my God, I love that movie so much. And it's definitely one that I grew an appreciation for later. Mm-hmm. Whereas Halloween, I was immediately smitten with um, yeah. The Thing, I think is probably my favorite Carpenter. And uh, But cool. it's it's a moody masterpiece. Yeah. And I wouldn't say it's as sheer terrifying as some of his other movies, but there's something about it. In it's a it's a masterclass in mood and ambiance and, yeah. and minimalism. You and can, minimalism, right? You can create a powerful story and a you know a gut punch of a movie with like I think that that's one of his more lower budgeted films. Very if I low, understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it went up a little bit. They had some reshoots, a couple issues, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was very. And also, it has this kind of Greek chorus chiming in, like the town. We have the we have the DJ, mm-hmm. the radio DJ, and it's kind of it's a it's a story about a town. Yeah, 
So, and like you said, representing, uh, America. representing America. And I loved how you said that and picked up on that. And it's, it's really, really, really a great movie. And now I've come to just think it's a masterpiece. And it really is. Yeah, I watched it. Uh, I watched that in Escape from New York. I, while I, I think we saw Escape from New York, from New York the other night we together. We did. Yeah. And, you know, while at the I New Beverly. have at the New Beverly and, uh, I, and, you know, the thing is, is one of the most underrated films of all time, I want to say, when you dissect, and we can do that at a later date. Uh, I actually do haven't done the thing. Okay, well, I want to be here when you do. It's like my top, it's, it's in my top three movies. Definitely. You know? Yeah, it's, it's so good. It, it, it really is. Uh, what I wanted to say is that uh, just one notch above it for me is Escape from New York, uh, mm -hmm. just because, again... Oh, I you mean, said it was your favorite Carpenter. It, it is uh, Escape from New York. It's so good. It is. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean... Seeing it in film at the New Bev was... Right, and, like, I mean, how forward-thinking is this? So what, what we're dealing with right now, the bipartisanship and literally going to war on the media yeah. is captured uh, and so eloquently put uh, by John Carpenter as I don't give a fuck about your war or your president. I mean, my hair is standing up right now. Like uh. he was decrying the bipartisanship of this country in a manner mm. that is not so unlike uh, establishing this country in the fog. Yes. It, like it's, he just, I'm telling you the man. And then they live again. Oh my God. And then they live and it's uh, anti-Reagan, like it's perhaps his most on the nose movie, but so... just as brilliant. It's so good. Yeah, it's the man all, is a all screaming mad. Flavors of ice cream. He's a brilliant genius. <laughs> we could talk about it. We're gonna. I'm gonna have you back, man. Definitely. I look forward. You're gonna be one of my reoccurring guest stars here. I hope so. You'll you'll in turn help me out on mine. Oh my god, I can't wait. And I'm gonna come over to see you in uh, Angel's Place, the Sierra Vistaphonic. Uh, Sierra Vistaphonic. Sierra Vistaphonic. Yes. Oh my God, I love <laughs> Credit to Angel. Angel came up with. I it. hope Angel's jealous that you've struck first and got on the Annie Place before he did, and now he's gonna want to be on. So. I hope he does after he listens. <laughs> no, I love him. Such a fan. He's amazing. Well, brother, uh, we could go on for days and days and days. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Anything? Um... That's um, been happening in the last, you know, you lately know, for you that you want to say before yes, we close I, here? I, thank you very much for giving me this platform. Uh, just a couple of days ago, I went and counter-protested LOKA, L-O-K-A, which is Leave Our Kids Alone, which is a chapter of a oh. greater, uh, very right-wing, neoconservative, Nazi, Christian, Trump, gun-toting, Evil. You want to talk about evil? We've discussed evil a lot in you know when today. we've been sitting here today. Between and the exorcist, between the, the exorcist and the omen, and you know this this is the real evil that's happening right now, and it's it's based in fear of uh, fear that's you know fear mongering of religion and uh, fear mongering for change. Uh, this. Uh, they were going to storm the USDLA building, United School District of Los Angeles building, uh, and uh, who knows what kind of potential harm they would have done. And they've done this before. They tr tried to attack, tear down, and maim the staff of the Wee Spa in mm. uh, Westlake area because they let a trans woman into the female locker room. But that was a couple of years ago. I was there. I was chased down by uh, skinheads with baseball bats and American flags. Oh, so true. that's evil. So yeah. And thank you. Thank you. And and I was here again for this uh, just a couple of days ago and, uh, and it's still happening and it's the same people. And uh, I urge anybody out there uh, who doesn't have anything to do, if they hear of something going down to please show up, we need to do a better job as people uh, to stand up and uh, defend each other, to care for each other, because even though I don't think 
the politics are going to sway in uh, in the right wing's favor for 2024. Uh, I think we are all trying to be as prepared as we can be. Mm-hmm. I also didn't think that Trump was going to win in 2016. No, I and certainly did not either. I'm still in shock. It's yeah. I'm still trying to figure out what the fuck happened. But uh, yeah, it's you uh, and a lot of people. Yeah, but uh, that's I. Thank you for letting me say this. Uh, we need to be smart about this. Movies are not the only thing that make this world go round. We need to apply what we reflect upon yeah. and see in these movies to making it reality as real as we can and that's uh that that's what i'm going to continue to do the fight is never over so uh keep fighting uh blm uh protect lgbtq uh and trans lives uh black and uh, brown trans lives matter and uh yeah and viva la film (laughs) viva la film Christoph, thank you so much for your time, and uh, it's been an epic day with you between these two episodes, and uh, I can't wait to have you back again, and just uh, keep on keeping on, brother. You too, brother. You're a shining light.